Welcome to the Life After 50 show. I'm Katherine Watson and I'll be your host today. Today we're going to be talking about something that uh, strikes a chord with a lot of our listeners. It's about Alzheimer's and we're going to be talking about Alzheimer's, the holidays and family, making it all work. And I've brought on an expert here today to talk to us. But I want to talk just a minute about the show Life After 50. Uh, every week, every Monday, we try to bring you a new guest to help you on this journey after age 50. And it is quite a journey. I'm on it. And I have um, had a lot of different things that have come up. So we've brought on Medicare experts and elder law attorneys and, you know, uh, just a lot of different shows. Uh, so Today, we're going to be talking with Bob DeMarco, and Bob DeMarco is the founder of the Alzheimer's Reading Room, and if you have not been to the Alzheimer's Reading Room, you need to go. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and put that um, link to their website right up here now so you can see that. The Alzheimer's Reading Room is Oh, just a wonderful resource. I've been reading Bob's articles and uh, the information he posts on this website for quite some time now. Um, and he has such great information. So without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and bring Bob up to the show. And, and there he is. Okay, Bob, thank you. Welcome to the show. Hello, Catherine. Um, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me today. Great. So I didn't really introduce you because I wanted you to tell the readers a little bit about who you are, why you talk about Alzheimer's, why you created the Alzheimer's Reading Room, and, and you know, just a little bit about that. Um, all right, great. Um, I took care of my mother for eight and a half years. That's 3,112 days. So I understand how caregivers feel because I was one. Mm -hmm. um, I started to have good success with my mother after a couple of first couple of years of taking care of her. And a couple of people at Duke and Harvard, um, a gerontologist, research scientist, Rudy Tanzi, and other people like at the Chicago Tribune, they started to find out about me by word of mouth. And they started to call me on the telephone and ask me, why are you using bright light with your mother? How did you get that idea? Do you really take your mother into the gym and work her out with weights when she was 88 years old and for about five more years after? And I said, yes. And I would talk to them. And every time they would say, why don't you write about this? And I said, well, I'm not like a journalist or this or that. The other thing. So to make a long story short, um, there was an ex-editor, a Tribune that talked to me one day. And he said, you're worrying about the wrong things. Why don't you just talk about, why don't you write about what you talk to me and other people about? And I wrote my first article uh, that day, and it was called Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. And basically, it was how I could look up into the sky at night and see millions of stars. I might get a little emotional here. And all those stars were the caregivers all around the world. And then between the stars, if you look up, there's some blue space. I call that the blue nowhere. And that's where the Alzheimer's patients were. So here I am. Um, I started publishing in July of 2009, nine years later. And I can tell you, I think about Alzheimer's and particular caregivers 
every day. Um, we have about 5,000 articles. I wrote uh, myself about 3,600 of them. And I have a couple of really good experts that actually deal hands-on um, with Alzheimer's or patients with related dementia. And I can always turn to them if I get a question that's not within my own personal life experience with my mom uh, or I've never encountered. Uh, so you're always welcome to send a question. And I just can't tell you. Uh, we do get questions that I would have never, ever have even thought of because it wasn't in my experience. So that gives you an idea. Um, I had a good experience with my mom, a uh, positive experience. And I think it's possible to, do, to have a great experience, but I understand its burden uh, is also hard and sometimes it can be horrific. And I understand that. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, it, it, a lot of it is about the relationship that you had before with the person that you're caring for. Um, that can make a difference in how you react to them. Um, you know, it sounds like uh, you and your mom got along pretty good. I don't know if that was always the case, um, but uh, it, I think it can make a difference because I've I've had friends that uh, didn't have a good relationship growing up, really um, a bad relationship growing up and ended up being really great caregivers. But it was a big challenge at first and they had to get past some hurdles. Yeah. What would you say to somebody like this, Bob? Well, let me just say real quick, I'm a very fortunate man. I had a very good relationship with both of my parents. Um, they lived a long time. I became friends with them as I became an adult. And I actually had the perfect life experience, even though I didn't know when it started to be a caregiver uh, via my relationship with my parents and certain other people on my education. But um, I understand what you're saying about the relationship problem, because one of the greatest writers, newspaper writers, journalists that ever lived had that problem. She was estranged from her mother. Um, you know, they really rarely ever talked. And then the Alzheimer's set in and I, I, I can't remember how many hours she wrote an article about me. I hope you can't find it now. You'll know she, who she is. It was quite a mm -hmm. time ago. I had long discussions with her about the difficulties um, that she had from the beginning. But, you know, this is a funny thing about Alzheimer's or even any elderly people where their children are estranged from them, where a disease can help it bring people back together. And in her case, um, it was a struggle, but then it worked out and then they came together and it really dramatically changed her life because I think many of us have known persons, children that become estranged from their parents. And then when they're gone, you can't really do anything about it. It's too late. So the disease can really bring people together. And uh, in the case of my mom, she was... Uh, cantankerous and mean in the beginning, but she became very sweet like she was before the disease. Um, so I always tell them this, you can't change the past, but you can change the future. And the way to change the future is to start right now. And that seems to be helpful. You can do it if you want to, no matter where you start from. Bob, one of the things that you're really well known for is your great advice and tips on how to communicate. And that's a big issue for a lot of people, how to communicate with somebody with this disease. 
Uh, yeah. And like I said, I'm a fortunate man because I have a doctorate in communication and I studied decision making. So I started to get some ideas, not right in the beginning. It didn't dawn on me about what m- might work with my mother. And here's the crazy thing about Alzheimer's disease. Much of what you've done prior to the onset of the disease with your loved one just doesn't work. But what do we do? We have a relationship with a person. It could have it could be for your entire life, like me and my mom, or you could have been married. So some large fraction of your life, you might have been together. So when they start to do crazy, odd, sometimes mean things, get confused, you tend to want to communicate with them in the same way you did in what I call the real world. And it doesn't work. When I say that, I banged my head against the wall for about 18 months, thinking I was being a good son and kind and caring. The harder I tried, the worse it got. It's just like every single thing that had worked with my mother during our life, how we coped and communicated with each other, it would just boomerang on me. And the next thing I would know, She'd be in her bedroom, laying in bed, and sometimes she'd come out in 15 minutes, and sometimes she'd come out in 12 hours. Hmm. So from a communication point of view, you do have to change, um, and you have to learn new skills. So the way that I did it was I invented this place called Alzheimer's World, and I started, that's where my mom was. So I went in there, and then I started to build up um, all kind of ways, better ways to understand her to cope with her, to communicate with her. And then eventually I got to the point where I had um, developed a very precise daily routine with her. I don't know, uh, Catherine, if you ever saw the movie Groundhog Day with Bill Murray. Oh, yes. <laughs> now, that's what my routine was like. Every day, unless we had to go to a doctor or do something and my mother didn't feel well, was pretty much the same thing over and over from the time my mom woke up until the time she went to bed. And just like in Groundhog Day, I started solving problems. Uh, I don't know if I can use this word or not, how to get her to take a poop every day. That was a big problem. How to get her to take her medication. And I wrote an article many years ago that it was my opinion that it was easier to get an Alzheimer's patient to take a shower every day than it was once or twice a week, (coughs) excuse me, And my readers went berserk when I first wrote that. And that had to do with patterns. So we had a pattern. And I improved it all the time. Over the whole eight years, it was getting better and better. But we did the same thing pretty much every day. And my mother got on a roll with me. And here's the crazy thing about caregiving from my point of view. If you improve the quality of life of the person living with Alzheimer's or related dementia, dementia if you can do it then the caregiver life improves and one of the greatest things that happens is the self-esteem of your loved one starts to go up and then your self-esteem as a caregiver starts to go up because as you discover the kinds of things that really work well it makes you feel really good and positive about yourself and when you once you get on the right path and that's the mm-hmm. path of Alzheimer's world and then the Alzheimer's world. Um, things can get better and better. So the burden goes away. There's more happiness and more joy. And that's really what you're shooting for. I could segue mm-hmm. 
into a, a couple of my main ideas, unless you want to ask me. I would, I would love that. I would love that. Okay. Here, I think, and I'm going to, I'm going to click here for a second. I'm not going anywhere. Okay. Click it for myself. Um, the single biggest coping skill, in my opinion, that you have to develop, I call this, it's not their fault. So I meet caregivers. I've talked to them. I've, uh, at events and in adult daycare, everywhere you can imagine. And they start to vent about a particular problem. Now, granted, that's a big problem for them. A lot of the time for me, it's not such a big problem because I figured out how to solve it. But my point being, when you start as a caregiver, you tend to vent. Good enough. But if you keep complaining about the same thing over and over, then that's exactly what you're doing, complaining. Mm -hmm. So caregivers will say to me, well, I know they have Alzheimer's and this and that and the other thing. That's not enough. You have to say over and over in your head, it's not their fault. So when they start doing something that seems bizarre in the real world, but is actually normal in Alzheimer's world, you have to remind yourself it's not their fault. If they become mean or they're getting mean in certain kind of situations, the first thing you have to do before you go to interact is you have to say it's not their fault. So what you're trying to do in Alzheimer's world is you're trying to accept the world from the point of view of the person you love who's living in Alzheimer's world. And once you start to do that, you really get the hang of it and you start to understand that lots and lots of things that are driving you crazy are happening to millions of caregivers all over world, all over the world, sometimes at the exact second that they're happening to you. And these are, are um, normal behaviors. So you have to accept the reality of a person living with Alzheimer's, even though it often contradicts our own view of reality, and it often contradicts the view of reality that you had with your loved one before they staged into Alzheimer's um, and start, um, you know, to get more easily confused. They get mean. Um, I do want to segue into something right here. I wasn't going to talk about this at this point. I want to tell you a story. My mother was saying to me just about every day, get out. I don't need you. I can take care of myself. Now, keep in mind, my father was had died about 20 years before this. So my mother was very used to taking care of herself. She did everything, right. drinking, her shopping, her doctor's appointments, you name it. So here I am. I quit my job. I drop out of the world, literally, come to Florida to take care of her. And she's saying to me, get out. Now, I, if you're a caregiver, you, you'll understand how much that hurts. Hurt my heart, gave me stomach aches. Italians call it agita. And for months and months, I'm trying to figure out what it is that I'm doing wrong. What can I do? I'm being really nice to her. She get, tells me to get out sometimes. And all I say to her is, can I help you? What are you trying to do? And next thing I know, she's in her bedroom. So then one day I'm thinking about this and I'm thinking about this. I don't have a solution. One day she does it. So she goes, she tells me, get out. I don't say a word. I go over, I put my arm around her shoulder, I put my head on her head, and I just said to her, I'm not going anywhere. I'm, I'm going to take care of you. We're in this together. Just a few words. Mm -hmm. And um, she relaxed instantly, and she didn't run off into her bedroom. So every time this happened, I did basically the same thing. And to make a long story short, 
She stopped telling me to get out. So, of course, Catherine, as you might imagine, this gave me an idea that I could leverage that kind of behavior. And I started to write articles about always be kinder than you feel. Yeah. And that really works. Arguing doesn't work. It doesn't. It doesn't work. Absolutely, Bob. You know, and that's that's one of the hardest things. Um, and I see it over and over with people, especially uh, when they're first starting to deal with somebody with uh, Alzheimer's. Uh, I know my husband would argue with his mother and argue with his mother. And I would look at him and I'd say, just go with the flow. Just go with the flow. Just go with the flow. And finally, one day he got it. And um and it was great from then on, you know, when she would say after we had taken her out to lunch, she would say, well, that was such a great trip to New Orleans. We had so much fun. Instead of arguing with her and saying, mom, we didn't go to New Orleans, he would say, oh, that's good. Yeah, wasn't that fun? You know, we had a good time. Let her be in Alzheimer's world, as you said, you know, and uh it makes a huge difference. Arguing with them just makes everybody frustrated. That's all it does. You know, you know, you, that, yeah. that's a really great example. I used to take my mother. We live in Delray Beach up to uh, Palm Beach Gardens. And this is what fascinates me about Alzheimer's patients. And every time we went there, she used <laughs> to say, we should move here. It's really nice in Tampa. I have no idea how she got the idea of Tampa in her head. But <laughs> every time she would say, we ought to move here. It's really nice in Tampa. And um, that was another thing that helped me, too, because uh, they do tend to get in patterns. But I understand what you're saying. If I had taken my mother somewhere and she said, uh, this is like New Orleans or something, I probably would have been taking her there like every other day um, <laughs> you know, until it wore off if it ever did. But that's a really good oh. example of what you need to be doing. Exactly. Um, we, we got credit for taking her to New Orleans and San Antonio and all kinds of wonderful places. <laughs> in fact, I had a niece call me up one day and said, why didn't you tell me you were in New Orleans with Mimi? And I'm like, Bonnie, we were not in New Orleans, but Mimi told me you were there. No, we were not there. <laughs> hey, you know what? You're bringing up uh, another thing that really does drive caregivers crazy. Um an Alzheimer's patient can call up a friend or somebody and tell them a story about just about anything and it never happened. And mm -hmm. then they call you up and they say, I didn't know you went to Tampa. The first big one with me and my mom, unbeknownst to me, my mother was telling her girlfriends that lived here, that were here before I came to take care of her, and I knew them all, that I was starving her. Uh -huh. So finally, they ganged up all five of them. They sent one person over to talk to me privately. Why are you starving your mother? Oh. What? And I said, does she look like she's starving? So I was relatively mm -hmm. new at caregiving. And prior to caregiving, I worked on Wall Street. So I can be a pretty aggressive guy if you know me well. And uh, so I took her in. I started showing her. Look in the refrigerator. Look in, this, look in all the cabinets. There's all this food. So that was embarrassing to me. It made me very angry. It made me want to strangle one of my mother's friends. You can imagine my temperature went sky high. But here's my point. Alzheimer's patients are very good at deceiving others. So what happens? You take them to the doctor. They tell you all the way there. I don't want to go. I don't want to be here. While you're waiting to see the doctor, they tell you, can we go home? Can we go home? The doctor finally gets into the room where he's going to examine 
your loved one or talk to them. And they're like, oh, hi, how are you doing today? Good. And they change like chameleons. And this can make in a setting where maybe you're venting and then a friend or a family member comes, not for a day or a week. If a family member comes for a day or a week, they'll start to understand what you're up against. But if they just come over for a half an hour, an hour, they're going to think, oh, life's so easy for you. So your loved one can change like a chameleon in certain settings. And by the way, the real reason that that happens is that's when they get a way back machine. So somebody walks in, my mother respected doctors. She was born and raised in a time when doctors had a very high standing. Um, so when the doctor would come in, she would treat him with great respect. He would ask what was wrong. She would always say same thing, nothing. And then he'd ask me and I'd tell him why we were there if there was a reason. So they can deceive others. But here's the point about what you said, Catherine. When they make up a story, it is often more believable than the truth. That's the crazy part about it. So I think you said your niece calls up and she thinks, wow, what a great story. And she thinks the whole thing. Um, But you have to be careful as a caregiver. If they call up and say a bad story, that's a good example. Um, Keep in mind, it's not their fault and you can never tell exactly what's going on in the brain. I'll tell this one real quick. My mother for five years told people that my brother came to visit her on Christmas Day, her and me. Mm -hmm. He didn't know why, but he turned around and he left. Bobby must have said something to him. I'm Bobby. Mm -hmm. And he turned around and left. Now, this was an implausible story. My brother lives in Philadelphia, so it's 1,200 miles away. He would have to get on a plane. You know the drill. Get all the way here. Mm -hmm. And then he's going to just turn around and go home like (laughs) that. Not I have to tell you something. Quite a few people believe that story. And every once in a while, Mm -hmm. it would pop out. Here's what really happened. My brother called my mother on the phone and talked to her for Christmas Day. Mm -hmm. And then he hung up. And then my mother started telling everybody, well, Billy was here. I don't know what happened to him. Bobby must say Mm -hmm. something. So all she did was talk to him. So that's another good example. Um, These things happen. If you get over to Alzheimer's world and understand these are some normal behaviors. And let me tell you, and if you get on the right mindset, because you're telling stories and you're kind of laughing and smiling. Mm-hmm. Look, if your mom was happy and said she went to New Orleans. Like, who cares? The issue is that's right. she had a good time. Exactly. It's not about us. It's about the person we love and trying to give them the highest quality of life possible. Agreed. Agreed. So we ha- we don't have a whole lot of time left, Bob. I, j- I want to touch on uh, Thanksgiving's coming up and a lot of people uh, maybe having relatives come in that haven't been interacting with their loved one, uh, don't really understand the disease. They've never been around anybody uh, with Alzheimer's or any type of dementia. How what what is uh, some suggestions that they might do to help uh, these family members to be able to communicate better and to understand what may be going on if mom suddenly gets upset or something like that? What can you tell these families? Okay, a couple of things real quick. First of all, um, Alzheimer's patients don't really remember today or yesterday, anything like that. So there's a natural tendency when you're talking to somebody, but you don't know what to say, to say things like, what did you have to eat today? Or what did you do yesterday? Those kind of things don't work well. And the reason is 
because the short-term memory is shot, it's gone. Um, <clears throat> so you want to try to avoid that. What does work extremely well and is often overlooked is a person who has Alzheimer's is just like a computer. So everything that was in their brain before Alzheimer's set in is still there. Just like you have files and pictures on your mm -hmm. computer. Um, if you ever had a computer crash, you'll kind of get the idea. You just lost all your memories. If your computer crashes and you can't save your hard drive and you have to start over. But at any rate, so the kinds of things that really work well is to talk about past experience, especially if there was something with a lot of emotion, like a family gathering or a picnic or a wedding. Um, so if you're the niece or the granddaughter, you can always say something. Oh, remember when we went to the wedding and you could see if it comes up. But if you can get an Alzheimer's patient going. They'll start to tell you stories once they get in their way back machine in their brain, because they'll associate what they're saying with other stories and then they'll start to come at them. So here's a tip. Here's what I always did when we were going to have groups of people. We have a, a nice table in our kitchen, like a four seat table, and it's next to a nice window. I would always position my mother there. Number one, because we live in Florida, so it usually has a lot of good bright light. And then people could go one or two or three at a time. They could sit there. They could drink coffee uh, and they could start to talk with my mom. Also, if it's on a holiday, maybe there's activity in the kitchen. So the people in there can talk to her or even better yet, maybe you need some napkins folded or something they can do. You can engage them in the experience. And if you engage them, everything tends to take care of itself. Now on the reverse side, if for some reason the patient becomes angry, what you really want to do is just smile at them, stick out your hand, let them take your hand. When they do say, let's go. And you want to walk them off into another place. You could walk them off in the kitchen with my mother. The greatest thing you could do, because I would stick out my hand, not say a word. She'd give me her hand. I'd say, let's go. We'd start to get up. She'd say, where we're going. This was no matter what we were doing. I usually mm -hmm. everything. And I would usually say we're going to have fun or, you know what, let's take a shower and you get some potato chips or something like that. <laughs> so if your patient gets angry, ice cream, if you can walk them out of the room and sit them down, they might have that look on their face and give them a little bit of ice cream. Um, you might be able to get them to say after they eat it, Ma, how was that ice cream? delicious. And then you can kind of just snap them out of the meanness and into a whole new, a whole new kind of reality. The thing is, they're easy to, to change and they don't remember what just happened. You just have to learn Absolutely. how to do it. I love that. That is brilliant, Bob. So simple, yet just brilliant. Really good ice cream. <laughs> and and here in Texas, we would say bluebell. <laughs> but, uh, I, have, yeah, I do have an article on my site. If you go there and you put um, ice cream in the search box, um, it's actually entitled How to Use Ice Cream as a Memory Tool. <laughs> and I actually used ice cream. I, I wrote oh, about the example to solve one of the biggest problems I ever had with my mom. I love it. I love it. I'm going to have to go look for that article and and share it over on my um on my uh, Facebook page too. So we're here today, and unfortunately, our time is running out. Um, but I've been here today with Bob DeMarco. He 
is the founder of the Alzheimer's Reading Room. So that's alzheimersreadingroom.com. I definitely recommend that you go check out this website, alzheimersreadingroom.com. He has a wealth of information, just tons and tons and tons of information uh, available on his website. Uh, Everything you need to know about how to how to run through life with somebody with Alzheimer's, how to how to care for them, how to how to care for yourself, how to do the best you can. And Bob, I really thank you for being on the show today. Um, It was a pleasure. And I know I'd like to have you back again. Uh, Hopefully you can do that. Uh, We have a lot of topics we can talk about, I think. Catherine, I had a great time and you have a really great positive attitude, um, which is what you need to be a caregiver, but it works really well in life. And uh, I'll come back anytime you want. I had a good time. Okay, great. Thank you so much. I'm going to put Bob down in the lobby. Um, Again, this is the Life After 50 show. I'm Catherine Watson uh, with Find Houston Senior Care, your web directory for anything uh, senior care related in the greater Houston area. They are the sponsor of our show today. Uh, Next week, we'll be talking with an elder law attorney, and we're going to find out what you need to know about getting all of the right paperwork in place now. Not tomorrow, not the next day, but now. we got to do this now. I don't care how old you are. If you're over 18, there's certain paperwork you need to have in order. So we're going to do that um, next Monday. I'll be seeing you. Have a great day, and thanks so much for showing up on the show.